Hyde Park United Methodist in Tampa, Florida, this is the Bible Project 2020, a journey to reading the Bible without fear or frustration. I'm your host, Matt Hotho. This week, we'll be releasing two episodes, this episode on the book of Esther and another episode on Friday to begin our discussion of the book of Job. Today's episode features a special guest, Samantha Tinley, a fifth grader at Hyde Park United Methodist. Sam was going to play the role of Esther in our children's musical this week. Our conversation covers the whole narrative of Esther and does some interesting comparing and contrasting with the retelling of Esther's story in our Bibles and the story as depicted in the script and songs of the children's musical. The book of Esther is set during the reign of the Persian king Ashuerus, also known as Xerxes I, who reigned from 486 to 465 BCE. In Christian Bibles, Esther is included with the historical books, but in the Jewish Bible, Esther is placed with the wisdom books. Perhaps this is telling, as through humor and hyperbole, Esther can teach the reader a lot about what true wisdom looks like. One final little piece of trivia about the book of Esther. The name of God, Yahweh, translated Lord in our Bibles, does not occur at all in the book. One theory is that the book of Esther is associated with the carnival-like feast of Purim. And in this raucous atmosphere, one would not want to accidentally say the Lord's name. Later editors were bothered by this idea and created additions to Esther that make God's involvement in the story explicit. You can find these additions in the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha is literature contained in Catholic Bibles and in some study Bibles, traditionally placed between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now on to the episode. So how does the book of Esther begin, Samantha? Should I start from chapter one? I think you should, yeah. So it starts with, it mentions the king's first wife, and she was exiled because she didn't come to meet the king and his friends when she was asked to meet him. And the king got upset, so he banished her from the kingdom. So now he has no wife. Yes, and... I think it says that he was very miserable about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He uh, he was sad, right? And then it also said that he made a new law where the husband is in charge of the household. Okay. And I believe it says it at the very end of chapter one. Oh yeah, verse 20. I think he put that there to make sure that like that wouldn't happen to somebody else yeah. as well. Like he... He might have felt like, that's not fair. She decided to argue with me and that shouldn't be allowed to happen. So I think that's why he set that law there. Mm -hmm. And it got passed around to like everyone, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to notice that throughout this this book, right? That a lot of times the king or people representing the king Mm -hmm. make laws and they pass it around to everyone, right? Yeah. We're going to see that happening here a lot. And we see that happening right here at the beginning. Mm Mm-hmm. So what happens next? He's looking for a new queen. Is this where we meet Esther? Yes. Okay. She's kind of talked about a little bit more later in the story. But in chapter two, it does say, does talk a little bit about some of her backstory Mm -hmm. that her parents died when she was young. Her cousin, Mordecai, took her in as his own daughter and raised her. So the king ended up holding a contest, a beauty contest, to decide who would become his new wife. So Esther entered it. I don't know if it's here or when she wins the contest, but I believe Mordecai says, "Don't not, don't tell don't, them you're Jewish." Right? Yeah, yeah. Th- it's right here in uh, uh, chapter two, verse ten. 
And then it says that she went through all the treatment. And it says that she won the favor of the person, Haggai, I yeah. believe. I think it said that she she got special treatment. Mm-hmm. And then once it was time for the king to decide who would be his wife, he ended up liking her the most, and um, she became the new queen. She became the new queen, and they throw a feast for her, right? Yes. They like, and and something about the Book of Esther, everybody likes throwing feasts in this in this book, right? Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of eating and drinking. So Esther doesn't tell anybody that she's Jewish, right? We get this yeah. again in chapter two, verse twenty. Esther still wasn't telling anyone about her family background and race, just as Mordecai had ordered her. She continued to do what Mordecai said, just as she did when she was in his care. And then we get this really cool little like side story that's gonna set something up, right, for the future. Yeah. So what's Mordecai doing? Mordecai finds himself in like the right spot at the right time, right? Mm. As he was walking home, he overheard two royal guards of the king's gate. Their names were Big Than and Teresh, I believe is how you uh-huh. pronounce it. Yes. Yeah. And he overhears them talking about how their plans to assassinate the king. And he goes and tells Esther, and Esther tells the king, and she gives Mordecai credit. What uh, happens to the two guys? I think it said that they were impaled on poles. <laughs> Lots of getting impaled on poles in this book, too. Yes. Yes. And then they write it down in the royal record book. Yeah. yeah. Now, but, are we gonna, that's going to come back, right? Yes. Yeah. But they never did anything to thank Mordecai. Right. It just kind of ends. That yeah. little vignette kind of ends, right? Mm-hmm. But as a reader, we're like, we're holding on to that nugget. Yeah. And we're like, this is going to come back. Mm-hmm. So then we get Haman. And Haman's kind of a... I don't, he's, he's mean, right? So the king promotes him and everyone is supposed to bow down to Haman, right? Mm -hmm. But Mordecai doesn't do it, does he? No, he doesn't. He says that he's not going to bow to any person. He only bows to God. Now, does he say God? It's interesting, Samantha, one thing about this book of Esther is actually God's not mentioned here at all. Hmm. Right? Isn't that weird? Yeah, that is weird. Yeah. Like elsewhere in the Bible, people are quick to be like, I bow down to God. Mm -hmm. But it's for some reason in the book of Esther... God's like almost operating in the background. Yeah. Yeah. In our script, Mordecai does say that though. Right. So, I noticed that in the musical too, right? Yeah. I think that they put that in there just to, so they had something to give away. I think they were trying to say that that's how Haman knew he was Jewish. Yeah. Because he believed in God. Yeah. So I think that might've been why they added that in there. And Haman gets mad, right? Mm-hmm. So he goes to the king and he's like, hey, we should send out a written order. He convinces the king to give him his ring, right? Also, Haman doesn't say Jews in particular. He just says there's a group of people that yeah. exist and um, they're not obeying th- your law to bow down to me. Right, right. He doesn't tell the king who, what people group. Mm-hmm. And the king just trusts him because he's his second in command. Yeah, and the king's quick to like give up his ring, give mm-hmm. up his power, and let Haman just do whatever he wants, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Haman makes this order, mm-hmm. a decree, just like we saw in chapter one where the king makes a decree and passes it around to everybody. Haman does that too, right? Yep. Only what does this decree say? It says that all the Jewish people will be killed and Haman seals it with the king's ring so the Jews can't do anything about it. It also mentions that after all of this happened and that law became a law, it briefly mentions how everyone was in shock about this which yeah. makes sense. They're probably like, what did we do? 
Yeah, what did the Jews do, right? The yeah. people who are Jewish are going, what did we do to deserve this? In chapter four, Mordecai finds out, tears mm-hmm. his clothes, um, goes out in the heart of the city, cries, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But what I found so interesting is actually in your musical, mm-hmm. there's a song that Mordecai sings. Yes. To tell this part. And it's called- A, a dark, dark Day Arrives. A Dark Day Arrives, right. Let's read. Let's just read a section. God, we fast and pray that hope survives. Put on your sackcloth sack, and ashes, a dark day arrives. And there's also a part that says, um, what did we do to the king to pay with our lives? Which kind of goes back to what I was saying, how they were thinking, what did we do? Yeah. So that's one thing that I really like that the musical does here is it kind of, you get into Mordecai's head for a second mm-hmm. in a way that you don't get in the actual story. But it's interesting because you, you can imagine Mordecai thinking that, right? Yeah. Yeah. What, what did I do? And let's fast and let's pray for deliverance. Yeah. Yeah. Esther eventually finds out, right? Yes. And they have this back and forth conversation. Is Esther scared? Do you get the sense that Esther's scared or what's she thinking? I do think she is scared. And also it does say, I think it said that she was saying how she couldn't go up to the king and ask him to undo this because she'll be put to death if she does that. She can't just go in. Um, to the king to speak, go to the king to speak with him uninvited. Otherwise, yeah. she'll be put to death. Yeah, she would be killed. Right. So, um, and then she's saying, "I can't undo the king's seal." So those are valid reasons, but I think it's she might also be saying those to say, "No, I can't do this. It's too hard." And mm-hmm. I think she might have been saying that because she was scared and didn't want to have to go through all this. Yeah, I agree. Check out verse 16. It seems like Esther kind of gets some courage at the end. And so she says to Mordecai, right, go gather all the Jews, tell them to give up eating. This is the part you were telling me about, right? She tells them all to fast to help her be brave, Mm -hmm. right? Then, even if it's against the law, I will go to the king. And if I am to die, then die I will. She's like brave, right? She's like ready to face it. Yeah. That scene kind of ends. And three days later. She goes to speak with the king even though she wasn't called for. Yeah. And it says, I think it says that the king was pleased to see her. Yeah. He says, what is it, Queen Esther? What do you want? I'll give you anything, even if it is half of my kingdom. (laughs) So he's kind of like going to the extremes and being like, oh, I'll give you anything. Yeah. Yeah. Anything you want. Ask for it. Anything. So what does she ask for? She asked for the king and Haman to join her in a banquet that she will prepare. Wait, another feast? Yes. More food? Mm-hmm. Mm. And the king agrees, and they feast. And now while they're feasting, what happens? Does The, the um, king asks her again, right? What do you want? Yeah, and she says that <coughs> she wants the king and Haman to attend to another feast. Another feast? I love this book. <laughs> All the feasting. All right. And, um... Again, the king agrees, and she says that tomorrow she'll tell the king what she wants. And then both the king and Haman leave, and it says that Haman left very happy and in a very good mood because he got an exclusive invitation to this feast. So Haman's thinking, awesome, I'm in good with the king, mm-hmm. everything's good. Yeah. Yeah. And then he sees Mordecai, and... <laughs> Um, he immediately gets mad and angry. So he goes home and it says that both his wife and his friends tell him, just build a giant 70 foot tall pole and impale Mordecai on it. Problem solved. (laughs) Yeah. 
so you can go to the next banquet in a good mood. He does exactly that. He builds the pole. Mm -hmm. And then- So um, now out in the back of the city, we have a 75-foot pole just hanging out. Yeah. And nobody seems to mention it. or care. (laughs) (laughs) That night, the king wakes up because he can't sleep. And what he does is he goes to the keeper of the royal record book and he was looking through it. Or, well, they were reading to him what it said. Like and you do in the middle of the night when you're <laughs> the king and you can't sleep, right? Yeah. Yeah. They get onto the part about Mordecai saving the king's life. Right. And then the king's like, did we do anything to thank him? And it turns out that they didn't. So the king is like, well, we need to do something for him. So it's sort of like we have these two scenes happening at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. We've got Haman, who's hanging out with his family, building a 75-foot pole, which must have taken just a little while, right? You don't put up a 75-foot pole like super quick. And at the same time, you've got the king who can't sleep, and he's found out this big news that Mordecai saved his life, right? Mm -hmm. These stories overlap right here in chapter Mm 4, right? Or in uh, in verse 4. So what happens once the king kind of finds out that Mordecai did this for him? He wants to do something for him. And it says that Haman's walking in and he's just about to tell the king, let's have Mordecai impaled on a 70-foot pole. <laughs> right, right. So it's and, all like just coming together here, right? Yeah. I like how they know it's 75 feet tall. Yes. Like the king's like, what should I do for a man I really want to honor? And who does Haman think he's talking about? Haman. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, oh, who would the king want to honor besides me? His loyal second in command. He says... That you should give him a robe that the king himself has worn mm-hmm. and let him ride on a horse that the king has himself has rode on. Yep. And then have somebody parade him around the city and shout, this is what a king does for a man he really wants to honor. And then Haman's happy thinking that he's going to get this special treatment and the king's like, do exactly what you said for Mordecai. So Haman gets upset about this. I thought this was interesting that Mm -hmm. when he came home, his friends and family were like, oh, yeah, you're going to lose to Mordecai. He's already won the king's favor. No. You're done. Yeah. (laughs) You're done. Right, right. All the effort to build the pole was for nothing. All for nothing. (laughs) Well, as far as Haman knows. But wait, Haman, we've got a surprise (laughs) for you. So his family's family's still discussing this with him. Mm -hmm. And Haman has to go off to the feast that Esther had, right? The second mm-hmm. feast. This yes. like one that she was like, let's have one more feast because <laughs> all we do in Esther is feast. Yes. And so they come into the banquet and the king asks, hey, what do you want? Half my kingdom? She says, the lives of my people. Yes. She doesn't say Jewish people. She still hasn't told the king that she's Jewish. That's like the secret in the story, right? That mm-hmm. she's not going to reveal yet. Yeah. She tells him, we've been sold to be wiped out, killed and destroyed. And if we'd simply been sold as slaves, I wouldn't have said anything. And the king mm-hmm. asks her, you know, Who is this? Who would do such a thing? Who does Esther say? The wicked Haman. Yeah. So the king got really upset. And after, and it says that after everyone left the banquet, Haman started begging to Esther for him to keep his life. And then the king was upset and had Haman impaled on the pole he built for Mordecai. All of a sudden, one of the eunuchs goes, hey, look. There's a stake out there, right? In verse nine, it's like, sir, look, there's a stake that Haman made for Mordecai. It's 70 feet tall. (laughs) What if we impale Haman on it? So they impaled Haman on the very pole that he had set up for Mordecai. Um, And you noted this, right? The king's anger went away. Yeah. I think he might've been like, well, I got my revenge on Haman, so everything's good. Yeah, I'm good now. But everything's not good because the Jews are still going to be killed. 
Isn't that weird? Like you would think Haman's gone. We can just wipe out this law. Mm -hmm. This law is gone. But in this story, you can't. You have to write a new one, right? Mm -hmm. So what what does Mordecai do? First, they have to get everything sorted out. And Mordecai takes Haman's place. Uh And I think it said that she was in charge of Haman's estate, though Mordecai was in charge of his possessions. And then it said that they made a new law that the Jews were allowed to fight back. Mm Mm-hmm no matter who attacked them. And then they stealed it with the king's ring. It became official, and they sent it out to everyone, everywhere, again. <laughs> Wait, we've heard this before. So in neither of my Bible or the adult one I read from, it didn't say if the Jews were attacked or mm. not. It just kind of left that untalked about. It says here in chapter 9, at least, it kind of seems to say that the in verse 2, like the Jews joined together, the Jews overpowered their enemies. Uh, it does say that a lot of people were killed. I wonder if like the people who still had to attack the Jews, if they were attacked, if they were fighting super hard or not because they knew the Jews would fight back anyways. Yeah. Or if they were fighting harder because they didn't want to get injured in return. Mm-hmm. That's a hard one. The way this sort of ends is kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, chapter 9, verse 16. The Jews out in the royal provinces also joined together to defend their lives. They put to rest the troubles with their enemies and killed those who hated them. The total was 75,000 dead. The Jews didn't lay a hand on anything their enemies owned. I don't know what to do with that. Like, there's a lot of a lot of violence. What do you think? They were Jews, so they obviously believed in God. So they might have been thinking, this is wrong. We shouldn't be killing these people Though some people might be thinking, we're just defending ourselves because they're attacking Mm us. Yeah. Like, the Jews didn't do anything to deserve to be attacked, but the people were only following the king's orders, and they didn't have, well, Haman's orders technically, and didn't have much to, and they couldn't really do anything about that either. Mm -hmm. So nobody really deserved to be killed. So then we kind of just get the story ending, and we get this holiday of Purim. Mm -hmm. Do you know why it's called Purim? No. All right. So we skipped over this in chapter three, but chapter three is the part where Mort, uh, Haman rolls the dice. Remember that yes. part? You mentioned that part, right? Mm-hmm. In the 12th year of the rule of King Ahasuerus, Ahasuerus servants through pur, namely dice. So in Hebrew, these dice were called pur. Mm-hmm. And when you, in Hebrew, when anything is more than one, the way you call something a plural in Hebrew is you add im at the end of it. Hmm. So Haman was rolling Purim, essentially. And so it's called the Festival of Purim. And it's still celebrated today, to this day, by Jews. With, I bet you wouldn't guess what they celebrate with. Feasts. Whoa. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Did you notice in your musical that it doesn't talk about everybody killing each other? It talks about at the end that the decree is revoked. Oh, it does? Yeah, that's how your musical ends. In scene eight. I kind of stopped reading the script once my lines were done, so... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's at the very bottom yeah. of page 68. Haman's decree was revoked and the Jewish people were saved. I mean... You should ask Michael if they should edit that line. Yeah. They put out a new law. A bunch of people were killed. The end. There was some death, but uh, overall happy ending. Yeah. It all works out. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back on Friday to discuss the beginning of the book of Job with the Reverend Dr. Roger Skoltz. 
We'd love to hear from you. Join our Facebook group, The Bible Project 2020, or go to BibleProject2020.com to learn more about Hyde Park United Methodist and our project. You can also join us for online worship Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. at HydeParkUMC.org slash live. I'm Matt Hotho. See you next week.